Hi, and welcome to Love Most, the podcast with Dea. I am your host. Today is episode 10, the last episode of season one. Thank you for joining. When I thought of doing Love Most, the podcast as a concept, I saw no separation amongst us. I wanted to connect with people and help connect those people with you. Love Most, the podcast with Dea is an inclusive platform where I get to speak with people that are doing incredible things to help uh, impact their immediate communities or the world around them in some way. When you love most, you include, not exclude. Love is not just a feeling, love is a choice and an action. And in a world where there is so much bullying and public shaming and judging, I am inviting you today to above all things, love most. Now I have an incredible show for you today, so let's get started. How are you helping change the world around you? Welcome to Love Most, the podcast with Dea, where you are invited to share your gifts and to, above all things, love most. Brought to you by Dea Music Ministry. For more information on how to be a guest, please visit www.deamusicministry.net. That's www.deamusicministry.net. Hello, and welcome. Let me unmute you. That happens sometimes. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Kevin McAfee. Uh, He is... Well, let's put it this way. A man who wears many hats. Uh, He's a filmmaker, director, producer, screenwriter, musician. Uh, He is also an ordained minister, an author, a growth strategist, and an entrepreneur. And I think there is more, but I mean, there is so much to cover. You have an incredible bio. I still can't wrap wrap my head around all of the things that you have done and accomplished. So I'm really pleased to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And, you know, I can't help but thank Lee Benton because she introduced us and I'm such a big fan. And I, and Daya, I've become a fan of yours. I, I have seen so you and heard you uh, on these podcasts and uh, to be able to impact the world that you're in uh, by doing what you're doing, going through COVID, coming through it. I, I just... I admire you for your fight. You're a tough woman. And uh, I think the subject matter of love most is perfect for you. So thank you so much for that. And yes, I have to say for myself as well, how thankful I am for our dear um, actress, producer, evangelist Lee Benton, who introduced us. And I have to say, she spoke so highly of you <laughs> and, your, and your wife and your family and all of your endeavors and your what you're doing to impact the world. And we're gonna talk a lot about the things you're doing and the legacy that you're creating and inspiring so many people along the way. So thank you so much. This is a tremendous blessing for me. You have no idea. So thank you again. You're welcome. So I wanted to get started, but I want to go to the beginning. When did you know that you wanted to become a filmmaker? And if I am correct, is there something about a, either a theater production of the Wizard of Oz? 
you oh you have been doing your research you know putnam city high school i'm actually uh talking to you from oklahoma city and uh i'm in the home of my parents uh, my father has had some health issues and so i came to be a caregiver for him and i think one of the greatest honors you you have is to take care of those you love and to be available to them so uh i'm not in franklin tennessee where we live but uh I, I, I have so enjoyed being here with my father. And you know, I was at uh, Putnam City High School and I did see Wizard of Oz and I was so blown away, but you have to understand, uh, that was third grade. <laughs> and uh, by the time fifth grade rolled around, yes, I, I just knew that uh, the arts was something that I was attracted to and I've been in it ever since, Daya, I really have. It's amazing we have that in common, I must add. So the first time I realized that I wanted to be in front of people and at that time was on stage, I had a solo in the piece of The Wizard of Oz as Dorothy. As a <laughs> and I was about 10 or 11 years old at the I time. I would cast you as a, as a Dorothy. You you would work there, yeah. I yeah, it was, it was an interesting role, but it was the first time that I said, you know, I want to do this. This is my element. I want to be on stage. I want to be front and center doing things that, you know, inspire people. So this is, it was so cute when I found out. I said, oh, we have that in common. Well, so you have beauty. I wanted to be behind the camera. I, I was an actor and I, I went through acting, directing through Oklahoma University and then eventually to California. But I can tell you the the opportunities that people in stage and, and on platforms that have to to impact our culture is huge. And I always admire those who take the opportunity to share about their love of God, their love of life, their pursuit of excellence. Those are things that resonate with me. Absolutely. With me as well. So um, is there something that as a filmmaker, okay, so let, let me go back and put some thought into this. Filmmaking is an art, right? And much like any other work of art, the observer has, has the opportunity to view the, be a product, a painting, a book, but they do it from their own perspective with the things that they have learned and perhaps experienced along the way in life. With a painting, I can imagine that you would look at a painting and even though the artist might have wanted to convey a certain image or a certain story or a certain event, yes. that person as an observer can only absorb what he is capable of. With filmmaking though, I am fascinated by it because through images and sound and music, you can actually convey the exact thing that you're trying to convey, therefore creating the opportunity for the observer or, or spectator to walk away with a newfound perspective that he can walk, he can agree or disagree, but he will get the real story. He'll get it the exact way that you meant to convey it. A lot of times we walk away with that newfound perspective, but it actually happened to me. And I know we're gonna talk a little bit more about the award-winning films that you have produced and directed, but you know, with End of This Fear, something interesting happened to me. And that was that I, for the first time understood that forgiveness is intergenerational. In other words, we, we hear people talking about um, generational curses, right? But we rarely hear people talking about generational pardon, mm -hmm. right? That's and so, so I want to get your perspective on that, you know, 
first of all, amongst all the things that you do, before we go into that deeper conversation, I wanted to ask you, is Filmmaker your favorite title? Or are all the other things that you do interwoven with that? I think that's a great question, and I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, you know, men don't like to say, no, I don't know, and I was wrong. Uh, we, are, we, we hate saying, I don't know, but to whatever my, I think that I just want to be operating within the calling that I have, and that calling, uh, whether that calling is in any area or discipline of the arts, I have to be true to that calling. Uh, Henry Blackaby said in Experiencing God that it's it's not what what you want, but you wait and see what God wants, and you get in the middle of that. Okay. And and just as we were talking before the program of a less of us, more more of him. Okay, uh, I think in, when I was younger, I wanted to dictate, uh, and I did this wrongfully. I wanted to dictate what I wanted. Okay. Versus where I was supposed to be. And uh, that only uh, becoming more senior <laughs> and uh, going through life with the mistakes that we make. I think that uh, obviously I feel called to be a media missionary. So if I were going to put a title on anything, uh, it would be that. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. Now you have worked with many people. Is there a favorite actor that you have worked with and why? Um, my favorite actor absolutely came to me because of Daryl Campbell, uh, who uh, ha was directing a picture called Last Ounce of Courage. And Richard Hedrick, uh, who passed away, uh, invited me to come and be a part of that film team. And I uh, was another director on the project. I was honored to be asked. And the lead was a, a man named Marshall Teague. And I want to say something about Marshall. He was best known probably for Roadhouse. Uh, he was the bad guy that Patrick Swayze tore his throat out, you know. And uh, he worked under Ben Gazzara. Jimmy, come over here, Jimmy. You know, and he was this really mean guy. And he is best friends with uh, the Norrises, Chuck Norris and, and Gina. And he has this real tough guy exterior. But the dimension to Marshall as an actor, I, I was completely uh, blown away by him. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because I've worked around and been around other very famous actors, uh, Academy Award winning actors, but Marshall is my favorite. And he's my favorite because of his maturity toward the art and toward mm -hmm. his commitment. And also because of just what he's gone through because he used to be that bad guy and now he has, uh, he's been transformed. And he just recently was in Reagan, which will be coming out uh, recently. And he is writing on a project called Wolves. It's a outstanding supernatural sci-fi between fairies and werewolves and all this kind of stuff to show a good side of him. It's mm. because Marshall has a dimension to him that says he loves all of life. And uh, I'd say he's the best, Daya, there's no doubt. You know, it's interesting, as you mentioned about, you know, the what caught your attention, being that he has a testimony and it brought him to this place of transformation yeah. in which he's able to convey the truth, is much of what I have observed watching your films. That was front and center in my mind as soon as I watched the first film. And I've had the opportunity to watch 
uh, your um, award-winning um, feature-length documentary, Final Words of the World War II, and had some emotion attached because my three younger children's grandfather fought in the war, on the World War II. And so I had a lot of emotions. However, in all of the films that I have watched over the last couple of weeks and everything that I've read about you, one thing that came up for me was the word truth. Yes, truth is really important. In fact, that's why I called my film company Veritas because Veritas is Latin for truth. And, yeah. uh, and I think that uh, there's something powerful about truth goes beyond imagination. In fact, the favorite stories that I have, and let me say this about when, when someone says my films, I really feel uncomfortable about that because I have been around now long enough to realize uh, nothing is mine. In fact, uh, every film is such a collaboration of so many people. Yes. Yeah, I think a monkey could be a director or a producer if you have smart people around you. And I have been really blessed with amazing crews. Mm -hmm. uh, really and the second thing i've been blessed with is finding incredibly good stories because without an amazing story like you mentioned in the despair if you don't have an amazing story it doesn't really connect let me give you an example jesus is walking down the road okay and the disciples are upset at him and they said what well, what are you doing telling stories why don't you just cut to the chase you know the truth come on let him have it mm -hmm. and what does he say he goes wait a second, you're, you're missing the boat. <laughs> what about the people that don't have ears to hear? What about the people that don't have eyes to see? He said, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a farmer <laughs> plants a seed. And he began to tell the story. And I'm sure the disciples, they're rolling their eyes again. Here he goes again. And Eugene Peterson wrote in Mark 4.11, and Jesus was always found telling stories gently nudging them toward receptive insight. And I believe that storytelling is much what Jesus would be doing today. He would be speaking in parables uh, and he would be telling those stories. And uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach and if you have to use words. So I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. And in the visual language of cinematic arts, it's not what you say, it's what you see. It's the subtext. It's not the text. Right. It's it's fascinating, actually. Yes, it I, is. In in this last two weeks, as I watched the films you took part in, <laughs> I say your films because I I actually <laughs> that we we're given an assignment, right? So the way you come and participate with a group of people, you still yes. bring your specific and unique gift that God has placed right. in your hands. And so when even when you say you know less of me, more of him. In the way that you convey that, you have the power to bring also people together. And I know that is the truth because knowing a little bit about you and what I have observed over the, this past year after I was introduced to you, I see the tremendous capacity that you have to bring people together. So, but anyway, the films, right? So this past couple of weeks, I've been watching different uh, films and I watched the documentary and every single time I was moved, but moved beyond perhaps even my emotional capacity, which mm -hmm. I think is what fascinates me the most about movies, films, documentaries, particularly the ones that are based in real, based in real life. Because 
it just brings an element of self-discovery. I had to ask myself certain questions today watching But God. Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself questions about the way that I'm a mother, the way that I'm in my community, the way that I see my friends, the way that I perceive other people's pain. All of those things played a part in the emotions that were rushing through me. Not just if it was just me that had been in those in the shoes of the or the family members of the people that were a part of Caleb's life, but also what if that had been my child, or what if that had been my family? My you know, it's in the movie that the, in the film in the documentary, the sister loses also a child, and they lose their mom. There was all this tragedy, and then the resilience and the power of faith. I even thought I didn't think my faith needed. It wasn't that my faith was shaken, but it was definitely deepened today. I think I got a God lift today <laughs> watching that film. So I'm fascinated by it. I think it's um, so very powerful to have images, sound and music all in one. We're, we're very blessed to have that. Yes. Um, and now you are an ordained minister and I wanna ask you a question about, yeah. is there an area of Christianity that you wish that you personally wish the church would reinforce either reinforce it more or in a different manner? That is an incredibly deep question. And <laughs> I will try to share my insights on that. I, I was, because I started in California and I was uh, an intern to the studios and then I, I got involved in projects and then I left because I was disillusioned. I kept going back to the foundation of God's word and God's word becomes the stabilizer for me in trying to determine some really important levels as you peel the, the onion back to find out who people are and what kind of things do they do well. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of criticism in, our, in the local church today that is is unfounded because there was criticism in the church day when Christ himself walked on on this earth and there will always be criticism because it's imperfect i mean the bible even says preaching itself is is foolish i mean there's to try to to, to speak for god or to try to determine i heard jeremy freeman i was at first baptist newcastle this last sunday I had a really bad day that day, day I, I really had a difficult time and I was burdened about something personally mm -hmm. uh, hurting. And I remember sitting next to Caleb who has a palsy. He shakes really bad from the, the wreck that he was in and he will have that the rest of his life. 19 year old kid and he recognized something was wrong. And here I am almost 64 years of age. He says, are you okay? And I said, well, I'm having a tough time. He puts his arm around me and he prays for me for 20 minutes after the service. Here's a kid that is broken, doing something that is wise. Mm. And all I could think of when I left was, isn't the church perfect? <laughs> the church is not the building, it is the people. And that's the people. So the people of God, become perfect because they they change mm. if, if i could go back i'm one of those guys that would like to go back and have a redo mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like to redo so many things in my life because i can see where i got off base 
and I needed to, to have a correction. I need to reframe and reposition myself. So as a minister of the gospel, I constantly have to remind myself that my heart is wicked. Uh, and my heart to love and to love most can be compromised. You know, you, you, you say, well, trust your heart. No, don't ever trust your heart. That is not the right thing. <laughs> the Bible says the heart is not in a good place. <laughs> trust in him. Trust in him. Trust in him. We do that. Uh, I think of a guy like Bill Ewing, who has been someone, he doesn't know what he has impacted in my life, but he was with me on Into the Spear and really did a fantastic job of putting the, pro the project of the film together. And, you know, those kind of silent mentors that never ask for credit or never asked to point the camera at them, those kind of people, uh, they're the church. And there's a, lot, there's a lot more being done right than there is wrong. That's so good to know. You know, I wanted to ask you a question. We're going to go a little deeper. I think I wanted to know from you, why do you think that there is so much brokenness in the world? And why is it that forgiveness is still so difficult? And, and before you answer, I actually, and I think I said something to that, you know, to that regard before I started talking about this last question. And it is my notion and something that I learned watching the end of Spear, right? The end of the Spear, because in that film, there is that power of forgiveness, but in a sense, it was passed on from the father to the son. And I remember there was a scene, and I don't remember the exact words, but I remember that he said, I. I ended your father's life. And he says, you didn't end it. He gave his life. Yes. So then he says, takes the spear and he asks him to, to take him out because he just tell, told him he killed his father. And he said, at the end of the spear, he, uh, my father lost his life. I think the words were that my father lost his life at the end of the spear, but it was at the end of the spear that, um, what was his name? Um, Minkayani and I found ours. I found that moment so incredibly powerful. And it's the first time that I thought of forgiveness as generational, intergenerational. We can pass on the notion, the power of forgiveness, and, and we even really not be aware of how we're impacting or imparting that notion onto others. But yet the position, I remember the father being so committed to getting to know this community, this tribe, and, 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 and doing the work that God had called him to do with such conviction, leaving his family and saying, I'm going to do this. I don't know if I'm going to come back, but he was committed to that, to, that, to that life, to that mission. And then watching the son later down in life as an adult make the choice to forgive and therefore impacting two completely different cultures. But it's such a powerful thing. But I want you to touch and talk to me a little bit about that part of life that there is still so much brokenness and why is forgiveness so hard for so many people? Uh, I, I think that forgiveness is, is not within the nature of, of we as people. We have an Adamic nature. We have a, the sin of Adam that is part of us. And to forgive requires uh, a transformed heart. And uh, transforming a heart is an ongoing thing. Uh, it's, it, it's like trust, you have to earn it. And so therefore, 
you have to keep pursuing that. Now, salvation and having God in us is a free gift. The gospel is so simple, it's so easy, but yet it's hard to live a life for Christ. It is hard to live a life uh, in forgiveness. We have a tendency to hold on to things. I, I have, I've had tendencies to keep an accounting ledger of those wrongs against me. How wrong was that? How, 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 why should I do that? That's not right. In other words, you have to constantly go back to where do you start your day? I'm going to tell you something. Mark Cook, who did Lost in Space, he's a producer friend of mine, um, the most recent Lost in Space movie, and he's done other films that are, that are pretty fun, uh, science fi uh, pictures. He gave me a book about a year ago called First Hour. And in that book, I have to spend the first hour of my life uh, with God. And it has been brutal. <laughs> not just not just to have a devotion day or, you know, I'm, I'm talking about spending time putting on the full armor of God, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm supposed to spend 20 minutes in confession. Now, can I tell you, I am a professional sinner. That means I specialize in pride of life lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes that's what because that's who, what i am mm -hmm. i have to spend 20 minutes in confession trying to get myself back in plumb trying to get my my life and my world back where it needs to be and so when it comes to that forgiveness side i spend the last 20 minutes listening for god to talk to me mm. sounds kind of strange because 20 minutes is a long time to just, if we were quiet for a minute, we would all feel very uncomfortable. Absolutely. I agree with that. It's just, you know, but, but what it does, it causes us to listen to this inner side of our, of our heart and spirit that is trying to communicate to us. That is the Holy spirit inside of us that, that God gives us. And so I think the greatest themes for films our, our themes of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. My favorite play is Les Miserables. Why? Because it's about forgiveness. You know, in these words, I write my last confession, you know, read it well. He, Jean Valjean, wants to make things right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the pursuit of each of us and every day, asking God for forgiveness. What did I do yesterday? What did I do the day before? What, how can I get back and plumb? And do and, and we have to just crawl, walk, run. You know, people that say they've reached it, I'm glad I haven't. But I can tell you this, I got to keep pursuing it. I, I don't have a choice. And uh, the stories keep coming. The opportunities keep coming. And I want to encourage those that are feel like you don't have an opportunity because I think a lot of people see everybody so perfect on social media and everyone takes pictures trying to look their very best their snapshots but behind those snapshots are people that are very very uh deep in difficulty and problems that are that are trying to kill and rob and destroy from them and i i i believe that the only answer we can find is in god that's it in theos in God, 
the word enthusiasm comes from there. If we can energize our actions and thoughts into that, I think that's a key to help us in that area of forgiveness. Mm, interesting. You know, I actually love what you said about, you know, a lot of us are, and I've done that myself at times, compare our reality with people's appearance. <laughs> and it's very difficult because, you know, we don't really have the ability to see what's going on behind closed doors. And yet, you know, in the same token, we also don't know how empowering we are, how we can impact and impart in other people the desire to just be human. You know, I always keep saying, I'm not sure that, you know, I think being convicted has to do with spiritual humility. And, and I, I, for one, always ask God, please show me what I need to see because I am too, as well, I am imperfect. So I, I but I keep saying to, to my friends that I think that we're not meant to be perfect. I, I think we were created perfectly in his image. Yes. However, I believe that because we're placed on earth to, to grow, to learn, to teach, right? To inspire. If right. we had to be perfect, who's, who wants to learn from triumph? I think people <laughs> relate to brokenness. People relate to struggle. People relate Failure. to <laughs> So I like to say, you know, it's not the story of the triumph. It's the story of the journey. That is it, so good. It is not a final, none of us are a final product. It is a process. Even healing is a process. Everybody who says, oh, I'm healed, I'm done. I'm, it's never done. We're never done. No. I mean, even when you think you're doing, like, I, I honestly, I mean, yes, I'm working on my faith constantly like you. I'm always asking God, please show me what I need to see. But I was watching your, um, but God, right? The documentary about Caleb's life. And I was moved in such a deep way. And I thought to myself, I didn't know that I could think even deeper than what I have. That's I was so able to see through somebody, through somebody's resilience. I mean, that's a story of res resilience. And and my goodness, how do you look at God? I, I was thinking the whole time. I mean, how did this family, you know, stood and and still accepted that what was given to them was the suffering, but for a purpose, for a greater purpose. Yes. And Caleb, Caleb's mission of love then becomes this incredible story. And like you said, he still has physical. Uh, this, you know, things that are afflicting, afflicting right. him each day. However, to what capacity? I mean, you you see someone, like you said, you're going through a hard time, having a hard day. He comes over, puts his hand over you, and you think, okay, the true measure of a person lies in how much compassion they can give, even if their life is broken or their heart is breaking. That is has to restore your faith in humanity. It and I think is. this is the beauty of what I love about your work is that I was shown over and over that aspect of being human. Yes, and I, I'm so glad you mentioned uh, the But God film. I We have completed the film and we're right now going to start our journey in finding the home, whatever that distribution or streaming platform would be. We've been thinking about and looking at different options on that. But one of the things about the Freeman's family that has impacted my life. Uh, Thomas Nelson is getting ready to do a book uh, with uh, Jeremy and uh, Emily, the mother and the father. Mm -hmm. And I wanna tell the movie actually from the mom's perspective. I feel mm -hmm. like that uh, she uh, in the film was very strong. She's the one that said to her son who is about to die of cancer, you're not, no, not no, about to die. 
you're about to live. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of heart-stopping moment for me when yes. she said that. Yes, and the very things that she said have really created in me a spirit that says, this is something special. It is a gift. Life is a gift. And the Freemans have continued to give life through, through trial, through brokenness. I, I myself have gone through several things in real deep, deep brokenness. Robin Williams, they say that it was depression, but he had a, an actual disease in his brain that was creating this. Whatever it happens, I think the enemy tries to attack different people and take them out mm -hmm. so that they do not have a voice to love most. Okay. They, they can't love most because they can't give back. I have a, a very simple philosophy in life. If I want big things to happen, I have to be faithful in the small. Mm, I can't, I can't just live my life going around. Well, what big party do I need to go to? Mm. No, I, I, I'm doing a funeral tomorrow of a woman that, was a, a sweet person in a church that I grew up in. And I went to school with her daughter and she called and said, would you help? And I said, absolutely. I happen to be in Oklahoma City where we're going to have this. That to me tomorrow, uh, that that's a really important thing. Mm -hmm. You see, what story are we living? You talked about it, the journey along the way, Daya. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the walk itself. Love can't be just selective. You know, what are we actually doing for homeless? What are we actually doing for different people that are hurting and having difficulty? And if we walk around and we're not willing to be authentic and transparent, mm -hmm. uh, then we're not, we're not being real. And that's why I believe if, if we're going to deal with forgiveness, if we're going to deal with the church before we throw rocks at it, we better turn turn the rocks toward us because that's what we're supposed to be. Right. I always like to say, you know, I heard this from a friend of mine and I thought it was brilliant. It said everything real is not perfect and perfect certainly is not real. And I think if we want to create, that's you know, good. a life that, you know, I always ask, you know, I know that we have to make certain for ourselves, we need to take responsibility for our own healing in spite of the pain that might have been caused by others or circumstances or situations. Yes, in the yes. healing journey, I find that, um, you know, we must understand that change is up to us, but transformation is when we start to say, and I had to do that, you know, for myself. I asked God to transform me so that I could see myself through his eyes not through the enemy's lies or my own eyes, because I was incapable of seeing the things that God saw in me. Do you, so ever, get mad? Do you ever get mad and try to say, well, God, why did you do that? Like when you went through COVID, did you find yourself being kind of like, well, what's up? What are you doing, God? Yes, I did go through a lot. Um, yeah. And I wanted to actually talk to you a little bit further. In a little bit, I wanted to talk about what happened to you as well, um, because I felt... I felt suspended in a way. It was a moment of suspension. I knew that I had yeah. faith and I knew that I believed in God, but I really had to let go. That was the moment of let go and let God. And I, I know that not everyone goes through almost dying of COVID or in your case, you had a stroke. And But I believe that all of us have that moment that I call the edge. 
For some people, it's an accident. For some people, it's a life event. For some people, I don't know. I think all of us have that moment. Um, I wouldn't want to live that again uh, in that particular way, but it wasn't until I said, God, show me what I need to see, mm -hmm. that I was able to release the pain, the anger, the anxiety that I had and understand that there was a reason. Mm -hmm. There was a reason. All of us will find that in pain, there is purpose. There is always purpose, but it's not, it doesn't happen right there and then. We're not given the answers that we want in the moment that we question him. We're given the opportunity to wait. And it's how you wait. It's in the waiting that we grow. In the waiting, we become stronger, resilient, and we have an understanding. So when you say, I'm doing this thing this weekend, and it may not be a big film event or an award, but it's something of value. Those are the things that we start to do. We start to, to, to hold on to these moments of life that are going to impact us going forward and, and, and also help others because through other people's pain, we can also impact others by telling the story like you do through your films. Um, I want to go a little bit, but just back to End of the Spear and see if there was anything else you wanted to add about that film before we go um, a little bit further. And we're gonna talk a little bit about charity and about Santa. But I want to give you an opportunity to talk about End of the Spear, if there's anything else you wanted to add. Thank you. I, you know, I, I'm always humbled that Mark Green, of uh, who started Mardell and what is the oldest son of the Green family who owned Hobby Lobby. Uh, Mart is the one that gave me a chance to be their CEO for eight years. And uh, that was a very strategic time in my life because uh, I had already uh, thought that I was going to go in a different trajectory and he began to pray and fast for me. And I had never uh, had a man pray and fast for me. And he prayed 38 days and did a water fast. And I challenged him on why was he fasting? Uh, I said, you don't look very healthy, Mark. What's wrong? And he said, I'm, I'm fasting for you. Yeah. And that caused me to realize how spiritually not close to God, but far away from God that I was because I, it was just a depth I had not seen. Mm. And being able to be involved in going into the jungles uh, with the team, uh, I flew in with Stephen Curtis Chapman. We were doing some music videos when we did Beyond the Gates of Splendor, which was the uh, documentary feature. And then on Into the Spear, uh, both of those experiences put me in front of the Waodani Indian tribe and the tribe, they, they were amazing. And, and, and I, as I left, I remember Minkai, not Minkayani, that's kind of an amalgamated name for in spirit, but his name was Minkai. Minkai said, if Wengongi sees it well, Kade, I will see you again, which he was saying in a profound way, if God sees it well, hmm. he will see me again. He recognized that it was God and God alone that made those de decisions. And he had a very, he and Steve Saint both had a very profound impact, but the five widows probably even more so had an impact on my life. And I, I think the reason why Into the Spear was great is because it was a great story 
one of the greatest missionary stories of our time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that the team that worked so hard to put it together did the best they could. And uh, that, that, that says a lot. And so uh, the, the lessons from that uh, were major. My, my oldest son ended up marrying a green daughter. And so I don't get a discount at Hobby Lobby and I need to talk to David and Barbara about that. <laughs> but you know, what's most important is that they're serving, our children are serving. And as long as uh, I have two grandchildren, Daya, that uh, my oldest granddaughter is Zion and she's from China. And then I have uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, grandson that's uh, African-American. And so it's, it's been a blessing to be able to see how God has, has blessed our family uh, and has done that because of what happened uh, with this family, with the Green family. And, and I'm so thankful for it. So thank you for asking about that. It's a, it's a very special part of my past that I, I was, the crew was all smarter than I was. <laughs> they were just hardworking people. The whole Hainan brothers were amazing. All of them, Bart Gavigan, who came in, who had worked on Luther. He was, he was great. Uh, we, we just had, you know, Ron Owen did the music He's just wonderful, wonderful talent and people coming together. So yeah, I'm just going to say, as you know, we trust, we serve a God and we trust that he puts amazing people together he for, does. for his glory. Yeah. So I think that everyone, including yourself, you know, I'm sure are all assets to one another and created this incredible product. So a, a project. So I know that the End of Spear, Beyond the Gates of Splendor, yeah. uh, are award-winning films. I know that recently you received was it 12 nominations for the feature length uh, documentary final awards of world war world war two um i know that there were awards and nominations recently correct yes we we've now that's 26 26 okay uh, yeah we we it would started that way and it just kept going and going uh we won the will rogers uh international film festival this past weekend yes and uh well, we did not win the feature documentary category. And so I sent a text out to everybody. Well, we, we just became a finalist, but that's good enough. There was a great documentary that was about feeding children. Well, you know, that's like, that gets my attention. So I thought, well, they've got it right. And right the second to the last award, they said, and now for best feature of the film festival from Oklahoma, and they announced final words of World War II. So Yay, congratulations. Yeah. And it was something that we could give, you know, glory to God for that. Absolutely. So, because awards, I, I tell you what I said in my speech, I said, I feel really uncomfortable about thanking the Academy <laughs> for allowing me to win this award. And I said, you know, if you've served in our military and you have someone in the past that was in World War II, would you stand and Probably 70% of the people stood and the people who got the thank you was them. That to me is what it's about because I did not serve in the armed services, but I'm a patriot and mm -hmm. I love our country. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am pro everything that would be about the United States armed services. Mm -hmm. My father served in the army. I mean, I've got a lot of military people around me and I respect them immensely. Immensely. And, you know, I think that, 
as I watched the documentary, as I mentioned to you, my three younger children, great-grandfather, uh, great fought in the World War II. And it's just- What, what campaign was he in? What, what military? Where was he? I, that, those details, I don't know. I can find out and let you know, but I don't Would know. You, all uh, the okay, because his I'm, name is Frank Bisternice, and he's he was you know an incredible man, and yes. we loved him very much. We were lucky to have many many years with him. He, he died at the age of ninety, I want to say ninety five, and he was an incredible human. And also, I think that listening to their testimonies of the three gentlemen that were speaking, and their and the wife of one of them, and the children of another, you can gosh, you can really feel the struggle that it was and how yes. how difficult. I mean, it was almost like, to in a sense, it was inhumane the way that things happened. And and yeah. it's all just have greater appreciation for the men and women that served. They're still serving this country. It's just very humbling. Um, and I, I'm telling you, I mean, for usually for Thanksgiving, because there's not a whole lot to do, we watch movies. And I'm not a TV person, but I love watching movies and I am committed to sharing that documentary with my children, as well as uh, Caleb's story with the documentary, But God, because I think that <coughs> there's so much and so many things that I haven't been able to say it myself. This is what I love about filmmaking is because you can learn so much and, and yet it brings a language that includes everyone, that allows you to start conversations in your own home. This is what I love about it. So we're gonna be watching those two uh, documentaries. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about, and it's very dear to me, is charity. First of all, I want to know what is what does charity mean to you? And I know that you are the chairman of the Maisha Project. And for those of you who are watching, I just wanted to say that you know Maisha is a word that is uh, of uh, African uh, origin, right? Really? And it means yeah, it's Swahili, and it means um, and it's also a multi. It's used in different languages, okay? So it's, it's used in, in multi, you know, other languages as so. In 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 African, it means um, life, right? Or well and alive and well, or life. In Arabic, actually means pretty and prosperous. I just thought I would throw that piece of information. Really? In. Yes. I heard that would be interesting. I did a little bit of research about what it meant, but it is of African uh, origin wow. and. Um, I know that you have been very passionate about the Maisha Project, which is in Kenya, Africa. And I wanted to know, first of all, what does charity mean to you? And Thank how you. have you personally been impacted by taking part in um, the lives of the children and the people in Kenya? I would love to tell you some really wonderful story of how I rose from the ashes like a phoenix to do something as wonderful as being involved in Maisha, but I was a reluctant person that when I met B, I just said, B, we should tell your story in a documentary. And I started talking and the doors began to open up and I got a call, Kevin, would you come serve on the board? And the next thing I know, I'm chairman of the board and we have 900 children in Kisumu, and Turkana, and we're feeding them every day. And we have a girl's dorm, we have a school, we have a hospital uh, on this acreage that was given to Beatrice Williamson. And she was a refugee from Kenya who went through a lot of horrible things, horrible things that were done to her as a child, uh, horrible things that could have killed her, 
and she came to America under a man by the name of Richard Hogue, who I have loved all my life and was a pastor. And she ended up helping on a missions effort. And for 15 years, she has built Myesha and at myeshaproject.org, that has been what she has been working on for all these 15 years. Last year, we passed 2 million meals. So, wow. And we have been, there's been a water crisis in Turkana due to the things that are happening in the climate in that part of the world. And so when there's no water, the animals die, the people die. And so it's very, very difficult there. So Africa uh, became something that was deep in me. And then, you know how you get talked into doing those Ancestry.com things? I find out I, I have part African in me. And I go back and my great, 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 great grandmother was a slave. Wow. And she married a slave owner and... Now, all of a sudden, it began to start making sense to me that why things were the way they were. And it, it helped me understand my passion for an impoverished people. 95% of the, of the community uh, has HIV AIDS in Kenya. 95%. That's in every family. Somebody in your family has this disease. And these kids, these orphans, these widows are brought in. And so I had the, the honor to be the chairman for the last almost four years. And then for nine months now, uh, Mark McBride, who's a local state congressman, uh, he has taken over that position. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'll be eligible after rotating off a year to come back in if mm -hmm. they so... Uh, if they see fit, but I don't care if I'm a board member or not. I am committed to Myesha the rest of my life. Now, mm -hmm. you know this. This is going to transition into this. I <laughs> I play Father Christmas. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, we're going to talk about the best center ever. And I had I had the, the privilege of of knowing so much about that because you you did speak to my grandson. <laughs> yes. Such a great experience. So tell us what teamcenter.org is about. So it's okay. it's directly related to the Maisha project. And I'm gonna put the before we go anyway, let me say that I have the banner on the banner there, Maishaproject.org for people who are interested in donating or participating in some way. Yeah. Um, and we're going to now I'll let you speak about the Santa.org team. Santa.org. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, we could no longer take our children and put them on Santa's lap. Right. So we decided to do start doing Zoom calls with Santa. And uh, we have uh, fortunately, I have a personal relationship with with Santa. Uh, I, I know him. I mean, we've been friends a long time. And so I asked him if we could come into the North Pole and do some Zoom calls and set some stuff up. And we, that's what we do with, with children. And what I do is, if you really read the story of Claus, that was the original story that was a monk, that the legend of Santa Claus actually began, where he went to children's homes that were impoverished, leaving gifts around their homes. And as a priest, 
he believed later canonized Saint Nicholas. All of this happened, and then all throughout ports, parts of the world, in the Dutch, in Norwegian, all over the world, they German. Everyone started having these legends that built up called Santa Claus. So I talk to them about what is more important than Santa Claus, which is why do we have Christmas? Christmas is about giving. It's about loving most. <laughs> it's about what are we going to give? So I get a chance to talk to the young people about what are you going to give for Christmas? And then I get to read a real Christmas story out of Luke, the second chapter, have a word of prayer with them. And they get to spend 20 minutes asking Santa questions, talking to Santa and there's a fee to it and you go to teamsanta.org and you get in touch with the, the group of people that do all of that. And then we make sure that Santa gets on board. Now, Santa, when he calls Africa to the Maisha kids, he's actually called Father Christmas. Mm -hmm. So he's known as Father Christmas in Africa. So that's one of the favorite calls of the year. And uh, I'm going to be working with him again this year. So that is wonderful. So for those of, of you who are watching, if you have <laughs> small children or if you have any a corporate events or any family parties, anything that you wanted to be able to contribute. But also, I, I assure you, get something out of uh, meeting this special man, Dr. Kevin McAfee, as Santa, as Father Christmas, as we say. You know, something you said really reminded me of my childhood. I remember my mom used to say to us when we were little, you know, we, we get new gifts, but we have to give our gently used toys or things that we no longer wanted to use. And they weren't broken, but go to the poverty stricken communities and, and spend time with them. And I remember being about, oh gosh, maybe four years old and asking my mom, why did the little boy didn't have any shoes on or a shirt on? He just had shorts. I said, he had no shoes. She says, well, sometimes when you're poor, you know, you don't have all the things that we have. We have all that we need, but in poverty stricken communities, sometimes they go without. And the next year I went with them, but I didn't want to wear shoes. I put on my pretty dress, but I did not wear shoes. I was too young to know what that was, but I think the spirit of charity, you know, becomes a way of living. And my mother was very transparent about gratitude. And I think that when I see that, you know, you're talking about what Christmas is about, the love, the we give because we've already been given, right? So that becomes charity. Um, I remember uh, speaking about charity a few years ago with a friend of mine. And, and I said, you know, he said, you know, if you brought this beautiful bathtub with pet rose petals and candles and put it dead in the middle of the desert in Africa, they wouldn't know what to do with it. But I said, <laughs> but you do. And this is what charity is. We do. We know. We know why we take 20 minute showers because we can. Right. That's that's very simple. But there are people out there for us. What's trivial? Yes. Electricity, um, you know, yes. uh, hot water, even running water becomes something trivial. It is a privilege when it should be a right to all. Yes. So I love that you are so much about charity. And I and I know that you are empowering and inspiring people to do the same. You know what I am doing, uh, Daya, that I should should remind uh, our viewers and those that are interested in charity. I have on Facebook a page called Veritas Mission Films. Okay. It's a, like a group page. 
I have about 1,400 people that have signed up to pray and to become a part of our organization. But at VeritasMissionFilms.com, if, yep. if you go there, did you know that But God was completely funded by donations? By donations, I did read that. I did. In other that. words, uh, we are doing movies not through crowdsourcing, and, uh, but we're doing movies by, if people want to give, uh, they can get a, a charitable donation mm -hmm. uh, for their gifts. And we take that money and we use that money to make films, especially for ministries, especially for ones that, that don't have a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. And in fact, as a filmmaker, I'm not just drawn toward, okay, what's the big box office? No, I'm drawn toward what impacts culture and what stories impact culture. And so we have in our, in 2014, we started Veritas Mission Films. So it has been an amazing ride over the last six years to see how something that was very small that we didn't know we would have much luck. John Dickey from a little church in Stillwater called Hillcrest, Oklahoma, said, I want to send you out as my media missionary. And that church sends me and our organization $25 a month. That is the most important gift that we get. That is the seed that has multiplied into hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was John Dickey that called me and said, my daughter has a friend named Caleb Freeman and you have gone through something and they just watched a video of what you went through. Would you pray over him? Mm. And I called not knowing who Caleb was. Wow. And I prayed and the next, and, and I prayed that, that he would be able to walk. And the next day he took his first step. Wow. It was not because of me. It was totally because of God showing off and of God doing what God always says he'll do. And now Caleb can walk. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's just because people pray and there's, there's power in it mm -hmm. and there is strength in it. And we don't realize the strength that there is. But when you go through those times, that's to me, the birth of charity is the birth of love. Why does it say in scripture of all of these things, what is most powerful, faith, hope, or love? Well, it's love. It's love. That, you know, Jesus, before he died, he takes all the guys around. He says, if you hadn't heard anything I've said, I, I want you to remember two things. One, remember to love God. And secondly, love each other. Mm. And we do a lousy job of loving each other. Mm -hmm. And what we order ourselves for that matter. Yes. You know, I, I actually was uh, taking a course recently called the Love You Masterclass. And it was, oh. I went through COVID. Oh. And it's a course that's taught by uh, Michelle McKinney Hammond. Yes. And, and Michelle was teaching us about, about us and asking the questions I really couldn't couldn't have, have come up with myself. And, and in the midst of that course, I, I was stricken with, I was struck with COVID. And then when I came out of COVID, I finished the rest of the course. And I told the ladies, I said, you know, one of the things that I learned 
was to look at the love story. Yes. Love story that God has with us. Because wow. we're looking, we're looking for love. We're looking to to fit in. We're looking to even be loving. But we don't often stand before him and say, How do you love him? How does he love me? What we ought to be valuing is that love story that God has with us for us. Yes. So that we can actually see ourselves. And I, I like you, believe love is the most important thing because it transforms. And that transformation, if God is love, right? God has the power to transform us so that we can see right. ourselves through his eyes, not through our own, not through our own or through the enemy's lies. So um, I wanted to ask you one more thing that very interested in knowing this about you. And I watched a little, about an eight minute uh, testimonial video that you did concerning the time that yes. you had a health scare and and i wanted you to share about that experience but i wanted to start by asking you a question that says um where did you go when you couldn't walk when you couldn't do the things that you're used to doing where did your mind go and how did that play a part in your healing <laughs> well <laughs> is this is a horrible story and you're going to get it um, because I did not do well. Mm -hmm. You know, some, <laughs> some people that, that follow God, um, they always tell these wonderful miraculous stories of, you know, how, you know, man, I was strong. I was the absolute worst patient. I, I first of all had a stroke that, was they believe came from a hole that was in my heart mm -hmm. and it went up into my neck and then it broke into 12 microfarctions or 12 strokes at once. Uh, and it just about rendered me uh, dead. Mm -hmm. uh, they said I was going to have more to prepare for it. And um, I, I was almost an invalid and it was really, really difficult uh, what happened. And, you know, it's so funny because the first person that called me uh, was Carmen. And I was laying in the hospital and Carmen just called to say, how, how are you doing? I go, how did you know that I was here? He was all the way on West Coast. He said, I have my little birds everywhere. And he was calling to say, mm -hmm. you know, believe that it's going to get better. But to be honest, I, I went into depression. I went into a deep sadness. Mm -hmm. I went into a, a, a questioning God. I went to ask saying, hey, you know, what, what did I do? And challenging faith not challenging that I know God, just not understanding why would he allow this to happen? Mm -hmm. And don't, don't we all think when bad things happen, why, why would God let something happen? Well, it was the, it was the worst time in my life. And I, I, I would pray. And then I finally got to the point of almost uh, not believing that I would ever be able to walk without assistance and I had chronic vertigo so everything was spinning around me 
I had to close my eyes to talk to people. Uh, it just was really hard. And I, I had a family and I have a family that prayed and I had church pastors come and, you know, they prayed for me, but none of it worked. It was like, I wanted it like this, you know, mm. what's the deal? And Michael and Stormy Omardian came to my house. Stormy is a person who's written a lot of books on prayer and she's a wonderful friend. And they came to our house. We don't live far from them in Franklin. And they, they put their hands on me and they started saying uh, words of the gospel over me. And I began to shake. And then Stormy read Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has come. And she began to just read the passage. And it was almost like I could feel something happening. And my vertigo, while she's praying, went completely away. I stood up uh, and she said, would you like to try to walk? I said, yes, she goes, you want us to hold you? I said, no. And I walked 16 steps. And I turned around, I walked 16 steps back. Wow. And I said, I wanna go outside. And I walked to the mailbox about 50 yards away and I took off running. Wow. And it was at that moment that I knew, you know, that I was miraculously healed. Now Baptists don't believe in miraculous healing, you know? I mean, we were supposed to, but, and I, I didn't come from a world like that, but I began to see, that's when I became Baptocostal. That's when I began to see this complete ability to to stand up and walk, but but I I have to confess to you, Daya, and to the beautiful people that watch this podcast. I did not do well, and uh, I wish yeah. I could say perhaps this. you did, <laughs> perhaps you did. I, I you did. I I actually wanted to to ask you this question because I knew the story behind it. And I know that when somebody asked you have faith and you said a little, and you know, we talk about the mustard seed, don't we? Yes. The mustard seed of faith. I mean, I think this is such a powerful testimony because your uh, perspective that I didn't do well. No, I didn't. Most people, it, it is what most people experience as humans. Yes. Cause Dr. And so, and Dr. so that, that yes. journey of healing for you, even though you didn't do well, I'm willing to bet that people can relate more to that. I know when I went with, you know, had COVID, I experienced yes. the same thing. I, I felt suspension. I couldn't even access it, my it faith. That me very because much. It was, yes. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uneventful. When it's uneventful, we talk about faith. We know what it is conceptually, but faith in action is not easy. It's <laughs> painful. It is mind-boggling how we can be one minute praise god the next minute you're hating god and you're asking why instead of what do you want me to see it's not easy to, to see those things and feel those things i remember somebody saying you shouldn't be so angry you have to let go and i said i believe in a god that is powerful and yeah. he will help me get there i know i'm not there yet but i'll get there and i think i loved when you said i have a little bit of faith and i said but that's it you see is that little bit yeah it's a dr valdivia was he was from Iraq, so he was Muslim. And he said, what he said, he started off, he said, Kevin, you've had a dramatic brain injury. And uh, 
he said, you know, you're you're not able to walk right now. And obviously the, all this time he goes, do you have a lot of faith? And my only response was, no, I, uh, I don't. And he said, well, in the Muslim world, you need to have a lot of faith during these kinds of things. And I said, you know, Doc, my, my grandmother was the one that told me that if you had faith as the grain of mustard seeds, you could move a mountain. And I said, so, Doc, come closer to me. And he leaned in and I said, someday I'm going to teach you how to run. Not because of what I do, but because of what he does. Because all I have is a little seed. That's it. And when I went back to see him two weeks after the surgery, I was supposed to be in a wheelchair. I walked in. I walked up to the nurse and I said, may I sign in? And she said, who are you? I said, Kevin McAfee. She goes, are you the one that had the stroke, the 12 strokes? I said, yes. Well, do you want, do you want someone else to fill this out for you? I said, no, I'll fill it out myself. And he wrote on his notes when he saw me, this is a miracle. In 60 years, he had not seen anything like it. 60 years uh, of his whole practice, no one. And I, I don't know how it happened other than God's touch. Absolutely. You know, I like to say that, you know, I once spoke about this because I said, yes, we faith is the means by which we access him but yeah. he never stops working you yeah. see people say when you work god is resting when you rest god works i don't think god ever stops working so we have access to him through our faith but he has constant he is constant and absolute so in every area of our lives even when we don't see him he's there where is he not and even when we can't, but he can, you see? So I would say, I don't want to trust myself all that much, but but God can do all things, right? God can do all things for us, through us, in us. So I love, I really love this testimony so much. I think you are an incredible man. And, and honestly, I mean, you're... Feeble man. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love all of your titles. I do. I know that you are the founder of Veritas Mission Film Association and GR <laughs> Productions, and you partner in, in our producer now with um, Oceania Omni Media. And all those things are wonderful. But like you, I believe in life and what you do. And so how you are impacting people obviously having the titles is helpful because then people get to see you and it highlights what you're doing but i know that you are about truth and love and and that is such an incredible honor to be here with you today thank you so much for making the time i never have gone over time with any other guests but i feel that it's so adequate and so perfect because this is the last episode of season one and you have absolutely uh, blessed me with your presence and your kindness and your emotional and spiritual humility because you're right you know it's it's so easy to to stand and say things in such way that everything looks perfect but you're doing the exact opposite and say it is imperfect but it's okay because he is perfect I mean, he we're all in the world but you know and i want to thank you daya for stepping out in faith and i i hope people i want people to support you i want people to get behind you I want your ministry that you're not just your music ministry, but all the things that you want to do 
I'd like to see that really flourish. And, and uh, it's going to be my prayer. And uh, anytime that I can partner with you in anything, I'll come running. So you just call me. I'm thank there. Thank you so much. And I also have to say thank you so much for your prayers. I know that when I was ill, oh, you and your wife and, you, you and the group, the Facebook group, everyone yes. was praying. That was such a powerful thing because I honestly, it's not that I didn't have faith. I just couldn't access it because of the amount of pain I was in. And it was, I know that it, it something was there, but I was literally, this is how I can, only word I can use to describe. I felt suspended as if I had no access to wow. things or I couldn't emotionally or spiritually access it. But I just yeah. said, okay, let go and let God, people are praying. This God is going to make it happen. And um, I thank you for your your love and your your uh, support and your prayers always, always always i love you so much for being here for those of you who joined us today thank you so much for your support this broadcast was brought to you by co2 lift check out their products at co2lift.com and use the code lovemost10 for a 10 percent discount on all of their products thank you so much for joining today we will be back with our first episode of our second season in January of 2022 with more incredible guests. Have an amazing day. Bye.